Please turn to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse 28. Matthew 14, beginning in verse, actually, sorry, verse 22. Excuse me. Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse 22. You don't have a Bible. You don't have it on your phone as an app. We'll have it on the screen here in just a moment. But I want to start off by, by saying this. Um, there are times where you spiritually, you are experiencing success, if you want to call it. Give you some examples of that. When the teenagers, when, when I've done youth ministry for so long, when we come back from camp, there's this thing called the camp high. And what that means is, like, you are ready. When you come back from camp, you're ready to tell all your friends about Jesus. You're ready to read your Bible every day. You're ready to tell, all, tell your parents about Jesus. You're, you're just pumped about Jesus. You, you, you have that faith that you think is bigger than a mustard seed. You can save the mountain, let it be moved. And then what usually happens as you're going through that is that camp high will fade away, and before long, you feel low. And the things that you swore, man, I am giving up. I'm moving away from this sin. I'm moving away from that. There has been a slip up and a fall, a failing. And what happens is all of that spiritual vitality is gone. And it's hard to get it back. I want, and a lot of that reason, there's many reasons why that happens, but one of those reasons, and we've all experienced it different ways. Maybe you didn't go to camp as a kid, but maybe you've been in this place where, man, God's been rocking your world. Every time you open your Bible to do your devotion, it's like, oh my gosh, the Lord is speaking to me. And then the next week, the struggles come. You know the struggle is real, folks. You know that, right? The struggle comes. The struggle bus pulls up to your house. The coffee machine's broken. You can't love people until you've had coffee, okay? So love God, love your neighbor's not happening. You want to run your neighbor over, okay? That, that sets back in. And so we go on this thing, these spiritual successes, spiritual failures. And what happens is a lot of times we hit the doldrums. We hit the spiritual failures, and then we kind of wallow in it, and we stay in it, and we have a hard time to go back and say, God, where are you? God, where are you? And I want to, I want to put this out there. One of the reasons that we struggle with kind of this up and down EKG life, the ups and the valleys, is because we don't realize that God is at work in our failures, and that failure and failing is part of what it means to follow Jesus. Now, he does not, he is not put it in us to fail. In fact, the Lord wants to sanctify us, set us apart, and work, but even in our failures, the, the Lord works. In fact, let me say, I'll be so bold as to say this. As we follow Jesus, we will, ex we will experience spiritual successes and failures. I had Nate read something about it, one of the disciples' spiritual fa uh, failures, okay? They're in the boat. This is in Matthew chapter 8. We're in Matthew chapter 14. 8 comes before 14, before 14, right? You got that, all right? So 8 happened. The story happens before that. In fact, in all of the synoptic gospels, these kind of, not all the details, some of the details in the gospels in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are in different places. And the reason they're in different places is because they didn't write chronologically like we do, okay? You know what we mean by chronologically? Like this happens, born then this happens, you know, then you, got, then you were 30, then this happens, then you got a house, and this happens. They didn't write the stories like that. They wrote it in different ways by themes, but there is a little bit of a linear mark to this. And so in all of the situations in which these stories appear in the Gospels, in Matthew and Mark and in John, this story in Matthew chapter 8 that Nate read about them being in the boat and the boat about to be capsized because of the waves, and Jesus out cold in the bottom of the boat, and they're freaking out. We're going to drown! And they wake him up, and he goes, guys, really? No faith? You're in the boat with the Son of God? All right. And so what does he say? Hey, zip it. And what happens? The storm stops. It becomes calm. And he's like, can I finish my nap? And that's where we get to the situation. So they've had a storm come, and they have failed in their faith. And he says, oh, you of little faith. Then we're going to see the disciples have success in their faith in the passage we're coming up to, okay? And right before the passage we're going to read today, they had the feeding of the 5,000, okay? They feed 5,000 men, and that's more women, so women and children who had been present. So several thousand people are fed by a little kid's Happy Meal, okay? Remember, we have just a couple, a couple loaves and some fish, right? And it's, it's broken up. Who distributes all of that? if you look in the text? The disciples. Who distributed it? The disciples. Who picked up the excess that was after it was left? The disciples. So who is the face? In a crowd of 10,000, who's the face of all of this bread and, and, and fish coming? It's the disciples. They've experienced spiritual success 
and failures. And so we get to here, and I, I just want you to see this quick. Part of following Jesus, and you see it in the life of disciples, is they are walking high. They are in situations where, like, man, look what we've been a part of. We've been a part of Jesus' ministry, healing the sick, raising the dead, feeding people with a happy meal. Man, look at all this success, and then there's all of these failures of faith, failures of faith. And I want you to see this. In the normal ebb and flow of the Christian life, you will experience success, spiritual success, and spiritual failures. You see it in the life of disciples, you see it in the early church, you see it again and again. And I want you to know just that is part of it. Now, as you know that, failing is part of moving forward as a follower of Jesus, but God doesn't delight in our failures, but he works in them and moves us forward. God is at work in our failure. In fact, if I could title this, because we've been in our forward series, if I could title this message today, here's what it is. It's called Failing Forward. Failing Forward. And I think this is the thing. If we think we're fully devoted to Jesus, we're just a second away from failing. Now, he should be our all in all and the one we're devoted to, but you're going to fail and you're going to fall, and the grace of God is going to meet you there. And I want you to know this. He does not desire that you fail and falter in sin. He is holy, and he would never want that in your life. However, he meets you there with his grace, and he moves you forward. And I'm going to argue that from the Scripture this morning. So in Matthew 14, right after the success of the feeding of the 5,000s, Jesus takes his disciples away. Matthew 14, verse 22. You awake this morning? All right, five of you are, that's awesome. Verse 22, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. Remember, feeding of the 5,000 just happened. So he said, let's get in a boat. Verse 23, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. This is Jesus' MO. He would give out, he would give out, and then he would go and he would commune with the Father. And have these times of prayer. And he sent the guys on and he went to pray in a different way. In verse um, 23, and, and after he dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain to, 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 by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time, where the disciples are, the boat by this time was a long way from the land. Beaten by the waves. For the wind was against them. Do you remember that story in chapter 8? Just what you think about that. Just go ahead and put that. Remember, they were in a boat, but Jesus wasn't with them. Or Jesus was with them in 8. He's not with them now. Same thing happens. See, Galilee is known for this kind of stuff. It's a big one. Like, you haven't seen a lake until you go up to the Great Lakes. That's like, that's a lake. I got a Michigander right here, right? That's a lake, right? Hand, lakes, all around it. Okay, that's how you do the Michigan thing. Is that how you say Michigander or is that wrong? Oh, uh, so it's going to work. Okay, yeah. Oh, I got another one. <laughs> I got an amen on that one, okay? Michigan coming to Tennessee. It's all good. So we got that. And so the Sea of Galilee is a big, it's a big place. Weather patterns were wild. And so they were out in the boat. Jesus could see them from the up place where he was. And the boat was being tossed again by the waves. Second time. As a Jesus follower, the, the boat, it seems like it's always capsizing. <laughs> capsizing. About the capsize, you know? So when we get to this place, and we go... And in verse 25, it says, and in the fourth watch of the night, this is 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. If you got kids, you got that. You know what that is. That's, that's early. That's angry early, okay? That's like you barely can move early. That's like coffee won't help early, okay? That is early. So these guys have been up in the boat. It's been beating them around, and it's between 3 to 6 a.m., the fourth watch of the night. He came, Jesus came to them, walking on the sea, like standing on the water. Now, for those, there might be some here who are skeptical of this. This is miraculous. This doesn't just happen. This is a momentary suspension of the laws of nature by the one who created it. And so he did this, and he showed, in fact, when you see the miracles in the Bible, it's not like Jesus is a magician. It's not like, come behold the amazing Jesus and watch him trick you with his sleights of hand. Oh, you have water? You need some wine? He's your guy. That's not what it is. 
It's, it's on purpose. These things are done in the Bible to communicate who Jesus is. And I want you to know something. It's hard for us to see who the unseen God is apart from him making himself known in tangible examples. So we could be told he is the Lord of all. He made everything and he has control over creation. But a picture's worth a thousand words, right? You go, go take a vacation, go to a lake, go to the ocean, and I want you to get a boat, go out as far as you can, you know, far, right, right till you can't see land anymore, I want you to jump out. You know what's going to happen? You're going to sink. Unless there's a sandbar there, and you got to watch out for sharks. That's from PC Boy right there, okay? Why? Because you're going to sink. You're, you're not as buoyant, and you're, you're going to sink in the water. That's just how it's going to happen. This is a momentary suspension of the laws of nature to show something that Jesus is the Lord. You go outside, it's raining. Oh, if we could have done this, we would have, because it rained in Middle Tennessee for like ever. It's just stopping. That's why we're that, that glowing orb in the sky, you're like, what is that? It makes me feel delightful. It's warm. What is it? It's been raining forever. If you could have gone outside in those stir-crazy moments when the kids are in the house and they're about to kill each other, because they haven't been outside, they don't even know the sun exists anymore, and they're like, let's, let's take over, okay? It's like Lord of the Flies in there. Somebody's head's about to be on a pike, okay? When you get to that moment, what would you have done if you're a parent? You walk outside, and you're like, if you could, you'd be like, rain off, sun on, kids leave. That's what you would have done. It would have been there, but you have no power over that. So in Matthew 8, when Jesus, he speaks to it, he has the authority to stop the elements, no one else can do this. This is God in the flesh showing a tangible example, suspending the laws of nature to show he is the Lord of nature. I want to make sure you hear that. Because I think a lot of people think that we're talking about fairy tales when we talk about scriptures. I, don't know if I was on a plane Thursday night, almost Friday morning, coming back from a conference, and I was sitting next to a guy, and we were talking about his grandpa almost passed away, and I, I had to tell him about my grandmother passing away, and you know how you get to the situations where you're just talking back and forth, what do you do, what do you do, and I, I, usually when I say I'm a pastor, it goes like, I give to charity, <laughs> you know what I mean, like, I want to tell you I'm good, okay, and this guy wasn't like that, which was awesome, and so we guys ch chatting back and forth. And before long, he says, well, how do you do it, man? I just was in this situation where I, we thought we were going to have to bury my grandfather. Miraculously, he's not going to be in that situation. How do you have to talk about death over and over again? And I was like, well, Jesus wants me to share with this guy on a plane. He can't go anywhere because he's strapped in. I'm strapped in. The sign's on. we got 10 minutes, 20 minutes. We're going to talk about this, okay? And I just, said, I just said, listen, I believe if Jesus is raised, and I think that's a historically verifiable fact, if Jesus is raised and my faith is in Jesus, I'll be raised. And so I have real hope. When, I was, when we were putting my grandmother in the ground, she believed in Jesus, and if Jesus is risen, she will be risen. This isn't fairy tales. This is really stuff happened by the Son of God. This is eyewitness accounts. This is true. This is, and if it is true, and I believe it's true, I believe we have good testimony that it is true, then it changes everything. And so Jesus suspended the laws of nature because he wrote the laws of nature. And he stepped out on the water to his disciples who have been battling the sea and are probably feel like they're about to die because it's 3 a.m. They're exhausted. They've just done all this ministry, and they're in this boat about to turn over. In the fourth watch of the night, verse 25, in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. Well, duh. I mean, to see a person where you're not expecting to see a person is always startling. That's why it's so much fun to, like, jump out at people, okay? Ha! Okay, they weren't expecting that, but this is even more. In the middle, middle of this, this sea, the, the waves are beating and crashing, right? 
And then what happens? Jesus shows up, and not only does he show up, but he's walking on the water, which this doesn't happen. They are startled, and he is suspending the laws of nature to show who he truly is. He's God in the flesh, and he comes, and they're startled, and you almost wish there was like a little addendum like, duh, okay, that it said there, like, and duh, that happened. Of course they were, up, they were upset about this. And so we get this in verse 26, but when the disciples saw him on the sea, they were terrified, and they said, it's a ghost, and they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them, saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And then, verse 28, and this is quite interesting, and Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Then what happens? But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. We got out, and he takes a couple of steps, and then he looks around and he realizes what he's doing, which is not normal. And he sees all that's going on around him. And what happens? When he saw the wind, he was afraid, and he began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took him, took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And so what we see here is we see, not yet again, they're in a boat, a storm comes, and there's a failure here for the disciples. Because he says, you have little faith. He says the exact, thing, exact same thing he did in Matthew chapter 8 that Nate read for us. And so I want you to see here, the Bible has, we see great successes that the disciples have. Spiritual success and being a part of the ministry of Jesus. But we also see great failures. And I want to, to, to pose this to you, that when we see these failures, that God can work in our failures. He doesn't delight in those things. He doesn't delight in sin ever, but he can work in those. And I want to argue from this and show you this, that show you from here ways in which God can work in our failures. And the first one is this. In our failing, God teaches us to trust. Let me say that again. In our failing, God teaches us to trust. Now, I want you to note something. Matthew chapter 8, keep going back to that, it's super important, tells the first story with the boat. They're in the boat. It's late at night. The sea is coming over it. They're freaking out. They go get Jesus and wake him up because they're about to, and he's like, oh, you have a little faith. And he says, stop it. The wind ceases. In this section, it's the same scenario except for Jesus is not in the boat. Right? He's been praying, and he comes out to them. Now, this time, he says, don't be afraid. And then there's this added section of verses 28, 29, and following that talks about Peter's reaction. And what does it say? And Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. In the first scenario in Matthew chapter 8, did anyone get out of the boat? No. Nate read it. Nobody got out of the boat. The same situation happens. What do you think they're going to do? It's different this time. <laughs> How many times have you had the same situation happen and you've, re you've reacted in the exact same way? That's totally me. Oh, I've seen this before. What did I do last time? That's how I'm going to do. It's very rare when we act any differently. If we do act differently when a situation comes, especially a difficult one, that usually indicates growth. Am I correct? So what's happened? They've already seen and witnessed Jesus have power over the natural elements because he was like, storm, stop, and it stopped. And now there's a situation for, for Peter to go forward in his faith. It's the same situation, but now he has seen Jesus and knows his power, and he has a little bit of faith rise up in his heart, and he says, can I come out there? Which, note, Peter gets dinged, and we've talked. You've probably heard this word. Peter gets dinged for getting out of the boat, but them other jokers are still in there, going, "We're gonna die." Okay, so now there's this chance for growth. So what happens? He gets out of the boat, 
and he takes a couple steps. I venture to say he's taking more steps on water than any of us in here and any of those chumps in the boat. There was one time I was water skiing in Florida, and I stepped on a snake in the water. And it looked like I was running on water, but it wasn't, okay? I, I like Wiley Coyote or a Roadrunner. My legs split out, and I just, they spun because I was so afraid because I stepped on this giant snake. I don't even know what it was. Still, to this day, it fills me with terror. Even with that, I didn't walk on water. It just looked like I, I was just moving. I was just hauling. And so here, what would prompt Peter to do that? It's the failure of chapter 8 when they had no faith. And seeing Jesus' power in the failure. Note this. Because of the failure of their faith, and not believing that Jesus would take care of them, that they got to see Jesus powerfully move and, and show who he really is. Stop. And the sea stopped. In this situation, it has moved Peter down the lines when 14 comes, and the storm comes again. What happens? He says, can I get out of the boat this time? And he's taking more steps of faith than any of us have, at least tangibly, on water. Isn't that amazing? So Jesus, in our failings, he does not delight in that because he calls him out and he calls him away from sin. Jesus uses our failing to teach us to trust God. And it leads us forward to a greater step of faith, which we see in the life of Peter. You see that? And we go on and we see, Lord, if you command me to come out to the water, is what Peter said. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water and came to Jesus. But what happens? In verse 30, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid. The wind beating the boat, the wind moving the water. When he saw the tempestuous situation, he saw the storm around him. He became afraid, and he began to seek, and he cried out, Lord, save me. And I want you to note this. In our failings, God's grace meets us. Note this. He has learned to trust just a little bit more, and he got out of the boat, and he took a step of faith, and then what happens? It's immediately gone south, because they were holding on for life in that boat, okay? If they are separated from that boat, death would likely occur by drowning. They are out so far, Coast Guard is not going to come, because it did not exist during this day. It's them in the, in the tempest, and they are going to die. So you know what was separating them from a, a watery grave? That little dinky Palestinian, or little dinky Galilean boat, and they're holding on to the John boat for dear life. That thing would have been about 10, 12 feet long, not very wide, and they got a whole bunch of jokers in that boat, and it is just going crazy. And Peter, he took the step of faith to get out of that boat to go to Jesus, believing, having learned from past failures, that he needed to go forward to Jesus and that Jesus had the power to keep him. And he gets out of the boat, and he goes, and what happens? He begins to sink. Now let this, let this, lack of a better word, let this sink in, okay? <laughs> he, starts to dr he starts to go down and it's going to drown. There's Baywatch is not coming, okay? It's not going to happen. He's out there alone in the middle of this thing. There's no one to rescue him. He starts to go down and he looks up and you can almost see like the terror in his face through the, through the text and he's like, Lord, save me! Because we do it like, like he'd be real calm. Lord, save me. If you've ever really prayed that, you didn't pray that in a calm way. You don't say, save me, in, in a calm way, do you? I don't. If I'm saying, save me, it's going to be like, save me, okay? Now, as he begins to sink into the abyss, which could be his grave, he says, Lord, save me. Now, he has taken a step of faith, which is to be commended, but he has taken his eyes off of Jesus, and he let the surrounding area and the, and the tempest, it let him overcome his sight on Jesus, and the faith faltered, and he failed, and he said, Lord, save me. And so what does the Lord do? Does he give him a lecture? Does he let him get too close? Like, right, by drowning? Well, we don't know that. It's not in the text. I mean, it, it, what happens is, look, look, look at what it actually says. And this is amazing. Jesus immediately. Save me immediately. 
It wasn't like he waited till like the nostrils were like just hanging up there and he's taking his last. <laughs> okay, that's not where he was. This was like, I'm taking the step. I failed. Save me, I am going to die. And what happens? Jesus immediately, which is, a, is, is just something that jumped out at me this time when I was reading through this text. Jesus immediately reached out his hand, take hold of him, saying, oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? Jesus is gonna, he's, he's going to save him immediately and then grow him after that by acknowledging his faith. So I want you to know this. In this situation in which Peter did take a step to faith, but he did fail, Jesus was there to immediately rescue him and call him to greater faith. And that's right there where the grace of God meets us. I want you to see that in a minute. Grace of God means favor you do not deserve. Every bit of Peter's life and every bit of our life as believers is all of God's grace. It is not deserved. You don't deserve, I don't deserve anything but hell and damnation because we all have broken God's laws. And in breaking his laws, we have sinned against his character. And we've told the God of the universe, the one who is in control of all things, we know better than he does. And we're like toddlers telling our parents what to do. Doesn't work out too well. We are deserving of wrath. But God being gracious sent the God-man, the God-man showing his ministry here, showing himself who he is, and the God-man standing right there, and Peter is failing him as we speak. And the Lord in his grace reaches down and says, Peter, come on. And I want you to say, in our failures, God's grace meets us, and God's grace is seen as wonderful. Because here's what happens. In verse 32, and when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. All the storm is done. Jesus is in the boat. It's, just, it's parallel to Matthew 8, right? Matthew 8, nobody got out of the boat. Matthew 14, Peter did get out of the boat. He takes a step of faith, and he fails. But he is farther along than those other guys in the boat. Jesus' Jesus's grace meets him there, and he saves him. And he says, oh, you have little faith. Why do you not trust in me? And then it goes on to verse 32, and it says, And when they got in the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. And I want you to get this, okay? I want you to see this. In our failing, God teaches us to trust him more. We see the, we see the progression with Peter. First time the storm came in the boat, white knuckle doesn't move. The next time he has seen Jesus and he has seen him in his failures. And, and so what does he do? He gets out of the boat and now he trusts Jesus. But he still fails. He meets the grace of God yet again. God was gracious in Matthew 8 when, the, when the no one got out of the boat. And God's gracious to Peter when he got out of the boat. He's also gracious to the people in the boat who were too cowardly to get out of the boat because when he comes back, the wind ceases, everyone experiences the grace of Jesus, and they all, for this act, for, for seeing faith worked out, they worship Jesus. And so I want you to see this. In our failings, God's grace meets us, and also in our failing, God provokes us to praise. Do you know God can use and regularly does use our greatest failures and wounds to display the greatest grace in our life, to give him the greatest glory, and to change us the most. I'm, I'm a living, breathing example of that. God has wounded me to take away many of my sins. Not all of them, you can ask my wife, okay? But many of my hard attitudes, God has had to wound me. And a lot of the wounds... We're self-inflicted, too. <laughs> oh, how God meets us in these places. And how sufficient is His grace. Now, we've been calling all of us to go forward. And there is a progression. You see this here. Remember, they were all white-knuckled in the boat. Then what happens? Then, one of them get, then there's only 11 white-knuckled in the boat. And one goes out in the water, and then he sinks. Then what happens? He sends out the 72, 
part of those disciples, and they go, and they, 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 the kingdom of God's at hand, and, and they, they cast out demons, and they do the work of Jesus. And then we have another situation where Jesus goes up on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's up there with Peter, James, and John, and, and the glory of God appears, and Moses is there, and Elijah's there, and Peter says something dumb again. He says, let's build a Let's build a tent and we'll live here. And, and they're all looking at him like, why would we do that? That's weird. Okay? And then down, the disciples are down there, and they had just cast out demons in, in the name of Jesus. You know what happens later on at the time of transfiguration? They're down there, and they try to cast out a demon, and they can't. And then finally, when Jesus shows up, the guys are like, hey, your disciples are idiots. This is my paraphrase. Can you finally do something, Jesus? And they were like, Jesus, why can't we cast out the demons? He says, this one comes from prayer and fasting, and you haven't been doing that. And so they, they learn. And then Peter, who says, remember the upper room, which we just celebrated the Lord's Supper? What happens with Peter? He says, I'll never deny you. And what happens to homie? Three times. It's marked by, by a chicken. Okay. Oh. And what did Jesus do? End of the book of John, he restores Peter. And what does God do with Peter? He uses him again. And he gets up and he preaches and he's beaten and he keeps preaching and thousands are saved. Then if you go into the book of Galatians, Peter falls again and he's, he moves away from the gospel back towards legalism and Paul has to slap him upside the head in Jesus' name. I want you to get this. God works in our failing to move us forward. We have been calling each other out through the scriptures for us as a church and us as people in the church to move forward in our faith. Kevin brought it to the place where we're talking about going forward, fixing our eyes on Jesus. And he, Kevin helped us see where we've been to where we are now. Then we've gone to a time where we've talked about how much we need prayer and fasting, how much we need stewardship. Last week, Andrew got to come which is just great for me to see a guy that, that I've known for so long get to preach and share his heart, for you, heart, his heart with you and with us about how we need to take the next step of faith. But here is what I would like to round this time out with. I want us to see this, that we must take steps forward. We will fail, but we cannot stop. We will fail, but we cannot stop. So when we fail, I want to call us to two things. Number one, do not wallow in your sin. Do not wallow in your sin. And I want you to go ahead and I'm going to do a few things. I want to anticipate some objections. First off, when you say, Matt, God's grace meets us in our failure, so does it mean we should keep failing so that God's grace could be more evident? Well, Paul's already been there. And he asked this question, what shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin that grace may abound? His answer is no. It's like game show answer. Eh, no. But here's the good thing about God. Even in our failures, he is working for our good and for his glory to advance the kingdom of God. And so don't wallow in it. Should we sin that grace may abound? Of course not. But grace does abound in our failure. And that shows how great God is. And so when we sin, we don't need to wallow. We need to repent, which means turn and believe the promises that we have failed to believe. In 1 John 1, 9, John tells us, John being eyewitness to these events, by the way, one of the disciples in the boat, he was one of the white-knuckled dudes in the boat, he said this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. A lot of times we treat, we treat sin like we've been on a diet for a long time, then we sin and now we're binge eating. You ever done that before? Okay, I've only eaten salad for 17 days. And then all of a sudden, oh, I slipped up. I ate one slice of pizza. You know what that means? Naturally, that means I should eat 17 pizzas. Right? Before you know, you're like, I hate myself. And you got the donut box open on the side of the bed. You undid the pants. All the weight you've gained is back. And you're like, oh, okay. How does that make you feel? bad. We do the same thing with sin. I've been walking in the light. I've been walking following Jesus. I've sinned. Okay, well, I might as well just sin a whole bunch more. Well, wallowing in the dirt, wallowing in the mud with the, with the pigs. If your son or your daughter went outside and got muddy, which is a very real possibility in this climate, what would you do? 
Would you leave them outside and tell them to roll in it again? Say, go play with some pigs. It'll be fine. Then come in the house and lay on, lay on the armchair. It'd be great. Did you do that? No, you'd immediately say, okay, I hope that's mud. Let's get you cleaned up. Uh, I've done, I've, I, the reason I can speak so clearly is because I see cycles of sin in my life and I see how they work out in the lives of other people. Turn quick. One of the things I like to do when I, when I struggle, when I wake up the next day, I like to remember that his mercies are new every morning, and I like to say that. As I'm swinging the feet off the bed, sometimes more slowly than others, sometimes it's one foot than the other, sometimes it's like just rolling out. Turn quickly. Do not wallow in sin. Yes. Listen, we are on the business end of the advance against the gates of hell. It's going to get messy. Wars are messy. We've already won. Jesus is conquered. He will reign. But we are a part of the business end, the business advance, the front lines of the kingdom of God. It is going to get messy. There is going to be pain. You're going to be the enemy and his minions are going to slip you up. Your own resolve will fail. You're being renewed, but you are not finished. So don't wallow in sin, but turn immediately from it. Can't stress that enough. If it's sexual sin, turn from it. If it's relational sin, turn from it. Whatever it is, turn from it now. Do not wait. It will not make things better. Turn. Come. Turn around. Don't wait. When I say don't wait, I mean like now. Just say it to the Lord. And if you've got to say it in your heart, if you need to say it out loud, whatever you've got to say to do it, turn. Second thing is this. Because of this, because God works even in our failures, we need to risk big for the glory of Jesus. I want you to, I want you to get this. We got nothing to lose and everything to gain. If he meets us, if his grace meets us in our failure, then what have we got to lose? I'll put it this way. Andrew mentioned this question. What would you do if you knew that whatever, what would you do for the, the kingdom of God or in the name of Jesus? What would you do if you knew you could not fail? And I'll take this a step farther. What would you do if you knew you might fail, but God's grace would meet you there and work a work in you for his name? The days of playing it safe are ending. I'm not even sure how, what that even means. But I know this, we cannot stay where we are as a church. We must go forward. And we must risk. I'm not, taking, I'm not talking about blind leaves. But we must take risks. And here's, what, here's the good news. He'll meet us in our failures. Got nothing to lose. Everything to gain. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know if it's in regards to our facilities, our discipleship plan, whatever. Please don't hold on to anything too tightly here. I used to serve at a church that would always, they'd say, they'd always pray for that church in the, in the prayers they would do on Sunday morning. And one day it just kind of hit me. We're trying to build this, this little kingdom. And we're not trying to build the kingdom. And I mentioned, I said, in a message, I said, do we, do we care? Is this, an, is this church an idol? Do we want it to succeed if the kingdom of God doesn't advance? Is that what we want? Of course it's not. Of course it's not. We, because God is so good, and it's been manifest in Jesus, the ruler of the world who came and gave his life, and is risen and reigning, and he gives that kind of grace to his people that he meets us in our failures. 
that Jesus is worthy of all devotion and all risk and all of our life, and he calls us to something greater. He calls us to take a risk for him. What that may mean is opening your mouth to invite someone. That may mean opening your mouth to tell them about Jesus. That may mean praying for someone. That may be stepping in the gap for someone. That may be giving of your financial resources to someone. That may be giving here. That may be whatever. There's so many things. And here's the beautiful thing about the Spirit of God. He's speaking to your heart right now, even as I, my words fail me to get you to understand and to get you and to call you out to this. Let's risk big. I'm not going to hold anything back. Nothing. It's funny how we can sing stuff like that in pop songs, but we don't say it in church enough. Think about it. Think about all the pop songs you hear, the love songs. Maybe you're not a pop person, you're a country person. Think about all the things they say about love. Love you with every fiber of my being. I want to be there for you forever. You and I will be young forever. It's like a teenage dream. It's all these different things we talk about. I give it all away for you. And that's we're, all we're talking about is infatuation. It's not even real love. It's the stuff of movies. You know, if you've been married any time, that that's not how love is, always. I heard an amen. Why don't we say that in church? I just Jesus juked you right there, okay? Just go ahead and accept that, but it's true. I mean it with everything in me. And I'm more aware of it now than ever before. Listen. This is not about growing a number or growing a, a big church. It's about making disciples who follow Jesus and call other people to follow Jesus. He is the best. He is better than the world's best thing. He is great. He is the one who meets us in our failures. He's not the one who requires perfection. You know why? Because he was perfection. Perfection crucified on our behalf. Not deserving it, but accepting it so that we could have life. Submitting to the will of the Father fully, where we couldn't, we wouldn't. He did, so we can have life. And he calls us out. He calls us beyond where we are. He calls us to follow him. He doesn't call us just to be a part of a movement. He calls us to be followers of Jesus, his people, his kids, his family. He calls us to that. And so let's risk big. Let's move big. Let's put it all on the line. What have we got to lose? What have we got to lose? We have everything to gain because even in our failures, and we will fail at times, he meets us with his grace. And I'm not sure exactly what that means for you. I don't know what that means. I don't know if it means letting go of something. Hey, we've always done things this way. I know that's I'm like... I know that's a thing. We, we don't do things. Yeah, we're seven years old. We do some things just because we do them. Open that hand up. That's not how we've done it. I don't feel uncomfortable. Okay, we'll just open the hand up. Let's risk for Jesus. Now, I don't know. It's a facility thing. I don't know. I'm kind of comfortable with here. I know we need to move, but what's I gonna, I've heard this before. We've talked about what are we going to do next. So. We're not going to go mobile, are we? Like, we're going to tear it up and sit down every day? I would, I'd hate to do that. I listened to that at first, and I took it, and I was like, I don't want to do that either, but you know what? What if it means the kingdom of God advances? I'm going to open my hands up. What if, that means I need, what if that means for you, you need to be a more consistent giver? Open the hands up. What if that means you need to serve? We need to get in your Bible. We need to follow Jesus or your life's too compartmentalized. And you follow Jesus on Sunday, but the rest of the week doesn't resemble that. Open the hands up. Let's risk. Let's make a move. Let's do something. Do something. Move. Forward. Fail. Forward. Take a moment. I'm going to ask Amy J to come up. She's going to play the piano for a minute. I guarantee you something. Because I believe the Spirit of God is alive and well and moving. 
and indwells his people. I guarantee you that the Spirit of God has spoken to you in some way about something. The temptation is this, to walk away and to just let it be. Let it be here. And I'll let it follow you out the door. And we failed if that's the case. So I'm going to invite you to take a few minutes, put your name on something. Speak to the Lord about it. Confess a failure. Don't wallow in it anymore. Make a move of repentance, which means away from the sin and towards Jesus and his ways. You might be in a bad living situation. You might, I don't know where you are. Make a move. Some of you just need to open your hands up, and you've been holding on to some things real tight. Some of us, we just need to get radical in prayer about what God has for our, the future of our church, and that may mean for you. It may mean fasting. Continue this. We did, it, we did it a couple weeks ago. Maybe it's just fasting and prayer needs to be part of your life for a season. We just really seek the Lord. That may be what he's calling you to do. You may not know what else to do. Prayer is always a good thing to do. Intense. But take a moment. Bow your heads, if you would. Say, God, what do you have on this message for me? And walk in obedience. God, we want to follow you. We want to keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Who endured the cross, believing in the joy that was set before him. You're calling each of us to move forward individually and each of us to move forward corporately. We know, God, that our moving forward will not, and following will not be without failure, but meet us there and move us forward. God, would you open up heaven's doors to us? And would you guide us towards you? Would you give us what we need? Would you provide for us? And God, would you give us the faith to walk through the doors? We'll risk it all. So that you be here with us, please. We can't go anywhere without you. Unless we abide in you, we can do nothing. So Jesus, move. Spirit, fall. Father, be glorified. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have be seated. At this time, we're going to take our forward offering. If our uh, our, our folks taking an offering would come down, our deacons would come down. This time also, as they come down, I'd like you to watch this video. He is more than you could ever need. He's more than the eye could see. I don't deserve his love, but he's always been there for me. You see, Jesus met me when I was at my lowest. And if you don't know Jesus, know this. He is the greatest example of generosity this world of greed has ever seen. And when Jesus hit the scene, he changed the scenery and met diversity with serenity. If you're looking for peace, he offers plenty. Jesus was and Jesus will forever be king. And when the angels sing, they sing of the grace that was displayed for sinners like me. I can't explain him and I can't describe him. And if I could, he wouldn't be Jesus because you can't explain eternity and you can't comprehend the galaxies. But it was the loving hands of Jesus who spun them into existence and created man knowing he would go to the cross to pay our sentence there was a certificate of judgment with a period after the sentence and we were sentenced to death long before he said it is finished he is a father to the orphan a shelter for the homeless a hiding place for the abused and an anchor for our storms he stormed the gates of hell and came out on top and the power of his gospel cannot be stopped even when the world tries and they try a lot 
He traded places with Barabbas and became the catalyst of missions across the world covering every portion of the atlas. If you're in need of rest, I know of a mattress. If you don't know Jesus, your future is tragic, but he gladly embraced tragedy so we could live in his presence of majesty. His presence is presence, and it's his presence that presents preciousness to a world of peasants. He is far from pretentious, but still loves those who are. He is the light of the world and hung the stars. He brings the dead to life and delivers life to the dead. He took a crown of thorns on his head so we could put crowns at his feet, and I can't wait until I get to kiss his feet that were nailed to a cross for me and for you and for every person around the world. He loves the world and I love his word because the word became flesh and in his flesh he demonstrated the word to the world. He is an example to every boy and every girl. He is a lover of black people. He is a lover of white people. He is a lover of the unchurched and the assembly under the steeple. He doesn't see the believers failures but still takes time to celebrate their faithfulness. It's the power of the spirit that enables us and gives us boldness when the world labels us. And if you want to label me, please call me a Jesus freak. If that freaks you out, good. Because it's better to be good with God than to fight being misunderstood by a world that could never understand. So let it be understood that I don't worship man. We worship Jesus. And although he doesn't need us, he still sees us and pleads with us to run to the cross where he bled for us. His heart bleeds for us. His heart grieves for us. But still graciously grants us a pardon for our treason in a season where the world tries to explain away the work of the Spirit with human reasoning. There is a reason they can't. Because the spirit is like the wind and the wind cannot be seen. But loved is the one who believes without seeing the unseen. I'm telling you today that Jesus is something. He's something more. He's something great. And if you want to know him, you don't have to wait. He stands at the narrow path with a key to the gate and you only have to reach out and embrace his grace. I don't care who's president. I have a king who is always present. I don't care who holds musical celebrity. The voice of the Lord will always be the sweetest melody. I don't care who owns the riches of the globe. My Jesus holds more wealth than one ruby on his robe. I don't care who is the strongest or the fastest. Nothing matches the creator of the universe and his immortal infinite status. I don't care about religious leaders who died and stayed dead. I'll only worship the one who conquered death and wears a crown on his head. His name is Jesus, and I'm telling you, he's something. He was faithful yesterday, and he is faithful today. I can feel his presence whenever I pray. And when the time comes for me to fade away, I'll remember the day I heard him say, My name is Jesus. to show that while we were giving because that's the flag we're raising. That's the only one we got. Everything we're doing is about that name. It's for that name. Let's stand together. We're going to be dismissed with these words. Jesus said this, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Walk in faith, not fear. You're dismissed.